Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello and welcome to The Movie Trap. My name is Russell Carlson. With me as always is Chris Poroff. Say we hi, need your Chris. voice. Hello, Chris. Say, say Chris. Understand. Okay. Like, <laughs> Hello, Chris. You're not uh, the sound of <laughs> yeah. a can the, the of point is him to introduce your sound, <laughs> your your voice. <laughs> yes, no. Uh, that other voice you are hearing is, uh, is Zach hey, Powers. Uh, welcome to Fat Sam's Grand Slam. <laughs> That's right. No, my name's Fat Sam. Then this guy, we're no ordinary mugs. Uh, on the movie trap, one person picks a theme and each of the three hosts pick a movie based on that theme. Each host starts with 10 points for the theme. Plus, we get to have a chance to increase our voting total by gaining bonus points from each other. Once we've watched all three movies, we use those points to decide who wins the theme and whoever's host, or in this case, significant other, chose the movie gets to pick the next theme. Previously on The Movie Trap, we wrapped up the theme that I chose, uh, movies directed by Sam Peckinpah, and I was unjustly and savagely well, betrayed by my to twin brother. Around. You tried <laughs> to you, you used illegal yeah. voting uh, uh, No matter, yeah. no matter. Very I, I believe that justice... Which, which are debatable. Justice was very much which are served. Debatable. Very much served, but yes, keep going. Which, which, uh, uh, debatable, <laughs> and... Um, Giving uh, Zach Powers the win, which means Zach Powers picked our current theme, which you find yourselves on the threshold of, which is ladies' choice or better halves, as I like to say. So the idea is that each of our significant other picks whatever the movie is, they want. Nobody and, uh, deserved that... to win last time, so nobody gets to pick. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, but now is a great time to introduce our wonderful guest, Zach's girlfriend, Je- Shannon Camp, who made good on her threat uh, to chose uh, 1976 Bugsy Malone. Shannon, I'm how good. are you doing? I was just about to say, I'm glad Zach's not attached to holding on to his win streak because Bugsy Malone is not going to be anyone's favorite of this category. Well, the other two women could pick almost <laughs> anything and walk away with it. But uh, being the sadist that I am, I've just really been dying <laughs> to have a chance to force people to watch this movie and talk about it with me. We, so here we are. <laughs> we have discussed the degree to which the people, it's, the significant others in this case, actually care about whether we win or not. In your case, I don't think it's that, I don't think you particularly care. It was more of an active um, sabotage is what I would right. say. But I don't know, uh, Sarah. And Sarah, I, I, it's tough to say what they'll say, what they think, whether mm-hmm, they Sarah care. and Sarah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Sarahs. We have we have the triple S. Shannon, Sarah, Tonight, and Sarah. Uh, please call um, me Fat and- Shan. <laughs> I, I thought if somebody can refer to me as Baby Face as well. Blousey is such a weird. Blousey is such a weird nickname. It does seem accurately that, very 1930s, though. Yeah. Anyway, before we get into this custard cream pie filled uh, 
delight of Bugsy Malone. Let me go ahead and I mentioned some bonus points earlier. Uh, so each host has three bonus points that they can give to each of us for absolutely any reason. Um, and I think since Shannon was good enough to trap us in the movie trap uh, in Bugsy Malone, she gets a point if she wants it. I do. <laughs> so uh, as of right now, since it started, everybody still has three points. Everybody has 10 points. We're all even. It's brand new. So with that, Zach Powers, why don't you tell us the journey that is uh, Bugsy, Bugsy Malone. Malone is a 1976 children's musical gangster film uh, directed by Alan Parker. Um, Sir Alan Parker to you. I don't think that is accurate. Uh, I do not <laughs> believe he has been knighted. You, right? Oh, really? On the back of that book, I'm pretty sure mm. he's referred to as what Sir Alan Parker. Well, we'll do a fact check a little later. Oh. Um... <laughs> As most children's musicals do, this movie opens with a gangland hit. Um, a man, uh, a ch man slash child. <laughs> Listen, let's just right away. All the characters. Yeah, you should open with that. Let's everybody. All the characters are played by children. Is a kid. Uh, they are ostensibly filling the roles of adults and behave as though they were adults for the most part. But they are all played by children. Uh, so, a child is on the run down a, uh, a period street, sort of a Prohibition-era street, um, and he is cornered by uh, a number of members of a rival gang with uh, some Tommy gun-looking devices. Uh, after they ascertain all, that he I works... I thought they were potato guns. Aside. They look like kind of like they sort of, sophisticated potato guns. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so after they ascertain that he works for Fat Sam, a notorious gangster, he is shot to <laughs> death by whipped cream uh, out of these whipped cream cannons that these children have. Um, so we uh, that is the basic setup. We, we go to Fat Sam's speakeasy, uh, one of the primary locations for the movie. Fat Sam is a prohibition era mobster slash club owner. Um, got his he, uh, his illegal soda in the bottom. Yeah, is that know, sarsaparilla distillery? Yeah, right, sarsaparilla. Right. He's got yeah. his. He's got a lot of rackets. I assume he pushes people for protection money and mm. all that good stuff. Um, we never. It's like a really hard version of Candyland. It's weird. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we ever actually see any form of law enforcement in the movie. Yeah, you yeah do. there is. Oh, sure there's you do. the Irish sure detective. Oh, right. Yeah. He, he's okay. always and, and, and oh, yeah. always manages to slip on something. Yeah, they they harken back to the the Keystone Cops. Yes, there's indeed. a few Keystone Cops bits. Um, anyways, uh, Fat Sam is being pushed uh, by a rival uh, gang leader named Dandy Dandy Dan um, at, while trying to operate his club. Meanwhile, he's having auditions for a new singer. Um, one of the auditions is a woman named Blousy Brown. Very much a little girl. When he says woman, mm -hmm. he means a little girl. Right. Just so you know. But again, I'm going to use <laughs> yeah, no, of age course. references interchangeably during. Yeah. But they are all played by children, but also they are meant to be adults, I guess. Um, but there's something important that Zach hasn't mentioned, which is that Dandy Dan's gang is. It's the only gang to have the guns. Yes, they're the only gangs that yes. have these guns. Um, it's but, like an arms race. 
regardless, yeah, uh, so Dandy Dan is pushing Fat Sam. They have these new type of technology, this sort of like, I think it, maybe it's a, an analog for like automatic weapons or something like that. In yeah, the it's, it's, the, it's the Tommy gun. Yeah, it's the much. introduction of the Tommy gun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fat Sam is using old fashioned custard cream pies to uh, execute people. To execute people. Whereas obviously Dandy Dan has these splurge guns, as they're called. Uh, that can fire much more rapidly. Um, regardless, uh, they're having auditions. Fat Sam is too uh, distracted to actually pay much attention. Um, but uh, Bugsy, who's sort of a bar sarsaparilla fly at uh, Fat Sam's, he's sort of a grifter, penniless, down on his luck, slash, but uh, charming. He's sort of a jack slash of all boxings. trades. Yeah, yeah, slash boxing. Yeah, slash boxing like producer. He, like, yeah. finds boxers and does other odd jobs, mostly. Yeah, yeah, but he's poor, but, like, kind of a... He's, like, semi a con man. He's just kind of, like, flying by the seat of his pants through yeah, life. Yeah, absolutely. They, yeah, yeah, they introduce him as, like, a trickster hero, but he doesn't do that much tricking for the rest of the story, so it's a little no, odd. No, the song yeah, about him... Going. We'll get into the songs a little later. It's worth noting there are songs that happen occasionally. We'll talk about them later. We'll talk, I feel yeah, like a, a loaded gun right now, just waiting yeah. to be shot. I am <laughs> You're, so You are a splurge gun. Ready. You yeah, are ready exactly. to splurge yeah. all over this <laughs> movie. You have no idea. The title track song is about Bugsy and his character, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure how accurate it is but we'll talk about that later um venerable paul williams indeed. yeah uh so but bugsy uh meets blousy and they immediately sort of have a flirtatious relationship um but it's interrupted when dandy dan's gang comes to fat sam's grand slam the name of the club and uh unloads on it with their splurge guns um so this gang war is heating up folks um so Bugsy, yeah, like and, so obviously we, ha we have said the thing no, where this isn't it, the that's not the mask. They the just face. shoot the wall. This isn't this isn't yeah. that one. This, this is more like a right. warning. Yeah, okay, that's right. This is but, but have we right. have we mentioned have we mentioned that the splooge guns and the cream pies are actually murder weapons? It's like yeah, the, the kids get killed when they get you splat get, with them. Okay. Once you get hit with it, yeah. you are dead. You're Even out. if it's just a pie's worth. Yeah. yeah. As the narration says, <laughs> whatever game it was everyone is playing, you are out. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> yes. So that's well the situation. These are murders. Like, it's sort of guys and dolls, but it's also clearly inspired no, by not. things like The Godfather. Like, I think that it takes inspiration from a little bit of both, but like more the latter, like that. 70s Definitely. mobster movie where like you know think of a uh, sunny corleone getting shot down at the traffic turnstile you know kind of thing um yeah but with cream pies <laughs> so they 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 both use and take the cannoli in this particular situation. <laughs> oh god correct um, you got my point oh god <laughs> You got a point for that. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. The flavor of that joke is hitting me, but you nah, got a point from me. There you God. go. Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Bugsy manages to get Blousy another audition with Fat Sam. It's her dream to be a singer. She actually wants to move to Hollywood and make it big. Um, but she doesn't have the money to do that. Um, 
And they're clearly, like, destined for a relationship, although they're slightly derailed by Tallulah, a veteran singer of Sat, uh, Fat Sam's. She's who the is, star of the show at yeah. Fat Sam's. And she's Fat Sam's girlfriend. Yeah, and she sort of is flirtatious with Bugsy a lot, and Blousey sort of gets jealous <laughs> of their relationship, even though uh, Bugsy's not really that into Tallulah. Like, he doesn't go for it very much. Um, they have yeah, history. she's. Uh, it's also... It is implied they have such history, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. But it also is implied that yeah. Tallulah is sort of like a femme fatale sort of thing, yeah. but yeah, she's kind of dangerous. I, yeah, and we'll definitely yeah. do that. It's a, yeah, young Jodie Foster playing yes. Tallulah. Yes. Tallulah yeah. is young Jodie Foster, and fa- and uh, uh, Bugsy is Scott Bayo, young Scott Bayo. Those are the two people Indeed. you'll probably recognize the names of right away. Um. So, uh, at this point, Fat Sam sends his guys after Fat Sam does hire Blousey, which she's thankful to uh, Bugsy for. But he also sends out some of his guys to find the splurge gun uh, guns, but they're lulled into a trap. And there is this is the massacre. Almost all of Fat Sam's men are killed by Dandy Dan's guys. Um, And uh, out of desperation, uh, Fat Sam hires Bugsy to be his new driver since he has almost nobody left to work for him. Um, they uh, end up going to the forest for a meeting with Dandy Dan. And I'm going to made Zach so mad. Uh, it did. Listen, if you're going to have a tete a tete with a rival gang re- leader, right? You go to a public fucking place. You don't go to a, the forest where it's like the easiest place to murder somebody. You go to the most popular restaurant in town and talk with a lot of eyes on you. I'll have to double check this in my notes, but I have a feeling this might be based off scenes like this in old gangster movies where they needed to shoot off a lot of guns and they just produced it off in a forest. That way they didn't have to clear it with the city or any of the other people about all the shooting and stuff. But yeah, one outdoor location for this movie, the street Mm -hmm. that everything is shot on and everything else is in a room. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, regardless, Soundstage. surprise, surprise, the forest meeting turns out to be an ambush. Uh, Bugsy manages to get Fat Sam out of there before he's killed. Um, and uh, Fat Sam gives him a few hundred dollars out of gratitude. Bugsy, who has continued to see Blousey and they have a number of nice dates, is like, all right, we're getting out of this crazy town. We're uh, going to Hollywood like you always wanted. We're leaving tomorrow. And obviously Blousey's like super happy with that. It's her dream. But... Before they could do it, um, uh, Bugsy is robbed and uh, all of his money is stolen, but he is saved by uh, a man slash child named Leroy, uh, who beats uh, the tar, I guess, out of these these muggers. Just want to um, say, there's 30 minutes left in the movie at this point, and we're introducing and a so new character. there's so much mm-hmm. that he hasn't even covered. Right. Because the plot is so I'm going, episodic. I'm going, we'll yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, yeah. Right. yeah, I'm going to, you know. So uh, Bugsy sees potential in Leroy, like we mentioned. He used to be, like, sort of a boxing guy. Like, he arranged boxing matches and stuff. He, he like, pressures him into becoming a boxer. Um, and Leroy and Bugsy become sort of fast friends. Uh... But uh, after uh, Sam's last uh, loyal guy is killed by a malfunction, uh, malfunctioning splurge gun prototype that they're working on, Sam again, out of desperation, offers Bugsy a ton of money to like come work for him again and be sort of his guy to track down the location of the splurge guns. 
Bugsy and Leroy uh, together figure out where the warehouse full of these guns are and recruit basically a small army of unemployed vagrants. <laughs> Bugsy is yeah, Lennon, like dudes from the soup kitchen. He's got an eye for talent. Yeah. Yeah, they go to the soup kitchen and, and recruit a bunch of guys who need work. By yelling, what's well, the it, matter it, but, with you at them? But they also uh, they did the, like, the classic, like, um, the whole thing. Whenever there's a problem that comes up in a musical, they solve an intractable problem with a musical number that's completely <laughs> emotion-based and not based off any, like, practical thoughts that are going into it. So he's just like, yeah. y'all are lazy and sad, and I'll call you bad names, but it's all to a beat and a rhyme. So then at the end, everyone's up and dancing and like, all right, let's go burn the Reichstag, so, whatever you talked us into, little man. These, these, these men who uh, have been left behind by society, find new life in crime um so good for them they become professional criminals um <laughs> for like two days they're about to all get like, shot in the head well that's true like lennon <laughs> spoiler uh we haven't gotten there yet um they do successfully steal a load of these guns so now uh fat sam has some new guys and a bunch of guns so the uh the tables are a little bit more evened uh the odds are evened i should say um which, uh, in retaliation, Dandy Dan and his men move against Sam uh, and attack his club, uh, starting a massive shootout in which every single character except Bugsy and Blousy is killed. Uh, Bugsy and Blousy run away to Hollywood, though also there's a song where everybody decides they can just be friends. So they're also kind of not killed. I can explain the ending of the movie. Uh, regardless, uh, just for the summary's sake, that is that is the end of the movie. Uh, Bugsy and Blousy get away. Everybody else is killed slash not killed becomes friends. Uh, and that is Bugsy Malone, the musical, the gangster musical starring children, children. but with all the songs mm-hmm. sung by adults. The fever uh, yes. dream yes, of as a the- school play karaoke contest. Mm-hmm. And that's important to know. As the... As the poster I, I says, I, uh, a good movie comes out every year, but a good musical is once every 10 years. It seemed very specific <laughs> on the poster. Don't know why it had to be a decade for a musical, but yeah. I I will say, though, that last number, I, I get why. Because like it, it, when the movie was released, it didn't do that well commercially, but uh, critically, it was actually pretty well received. I mean, uh, Siskel and Ebert loved it. Uh, Pauline Kiel didn't, and I. I'm, oh yeah, I, I, I took do down a lie. quote from Pauline um, Kael about this movie. Uh, yeah, uh, that. Uh, but it, it was pretty well received, and I sort of understood why it was well received in that last musical number, uh, because you, it's a war, it's an anti-war vibe, isn't it? Like it's, it's sort of got this whole violence isn't the answer. We're killing our children, you know that kind of thing. That's that's kind of the vibe I got. Yes, well, I'd like to speak on sort of the meta text of this movie a little bit, if I can. So, uh, like Zach said, it wasn't maybe necessarily a huge hit at the time, but it became an enormous cult hit over time. Um, it's a huge cult hit in Britain. It's yeah, a mostly beloved Britain. cultural like fascination, uh, I guess you I did say. read that even upon its initial release, it did pretty poorly in the United States, but it did do pretty good in Britain almost right away. And if you watch British sitcoms or television shows, you'll see references like the thick of it and in the loop, both reference Bugsy Malone. Like, I think there's a character in, in the loop, uh, who says, 
of Washington, D.C., that it's like Bugsy Malone, but with real guns. Sure, I mean, but it was also shot in England, too. It was a co-production of yeah. the United yeah. Kingdom. So, like, they say, had a stake in it. It's it's American kids, and it's an American set story, but it's really more of a British-created production, British fascination. So, uh, even before Bugsy Malone, and continuing up to this day, there's a definite, definite um, like, obsession in British culture with American gangster culture and all of that. So I think that they were kind of primed to enjoy something like this uh, even more. And it was so popular uh, that it has become, I think, probably like a rite of passage for every British kid to be uh, in this as a school play. Sorry, I looked at Zach because he is Sir Alan Parker. We looked it up on uh, online. Zach opened up a window. uh He is indeed Sir Alan Parker. Alrighty. OMB or whatever. But uh. so the because of the massive popularity uh, of this movie and the ensuing stage play, which there's also there's also been professional versions of, which personally I can't imagine. But the kids actually sing the songs as was originally intended instead of having, having the adult tracks. Uh, yeah. But it also spawned several novelizations. There's the comic book version, which I have here to show on camera um, in a little oh bit. Oh my God, really? <laughs> yes. Oh God. Um, and there was also like a chapter book, a young adult chapter book novelization. And my mother was 11 years old when this movie came out and living in Ireland. So basically like the target demographic for it. So growing up, we had the original 1970s uh, novelization, uh, which was also written by Alan Parker, because this is like his passion project. It's, it's. I don't totally understand that, but we that's another know. matter entirely. Well, yeah, he's. Well, this uh, was his. Go ahead. This was uh, his. This was his directorial debut, if I remember correctly. Like this Feature was the first major film he did, yeah. and like, um, it was an idea that is. That he came up with on with his kids while driving on a very very long road trip. So like, one of the kids just piped up and said, "Dad, you should make the heroes the kids." And for some reason, he ran with that and turned it into a whole film, which is why I'm also kind yeah. of questioning the whole oh. thing. And I also remember a whole lot of uh, weird names and Phantom Menace that were yeah. caused by George Lucas's kids making weird suggestions <laughs> to a filmmaker. <laughs> I really, I just gotta you also have I, like Princess Bride. Yeah, so I just yeah. wanted to get through talking about the novelization, though, because it really does yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of create oh, an okay. uh, outer framework to the movie that's not in the movie. So I, okay. uh, uh, it sort of is almost like the concept for the movie is put in as like a prologue and epilogue at the beginning and end, and it explains that it's all a game, and like everything you're seeing is like totally the kid's perception of it, which as a kid, I remember reading that and being like, that's annoying. That sucks. Because as a kid, you watch Bugsy <laughs> Malone and you honestly don't question how weird it is that the kids are playing the adults. You just think that's cool. Um, but then at the end, basically what happens is everyone gets, you know, shot or cream pied, uh, hit with the splurge, as they call it. And 
it's like it is like razzmatazz the piano player the band leader is fed up with the violence and it's like it's gotten so absurd like literally everyone is dead so he slams on the piano which is like this it happens in the movie it's like a noise that makes all the kids stop and like catches their attention and the song is supposed to be like a message of like we went too far with this game and now our game is over because everyone on either side is dead. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, it, for me, it adds a little bit of clarity to what's happening at the end. After literally every single named character is basically shot in the face in the in the yeah, universe of it, this it, story. It ends like true romance, kind of. Like everybody who is like a secondary character just gets killed off, and it's just the two main stars that are left at the end. If I remember correctly, yeah, okay, I think that's how yeah. that Even show the kids ends. in the phone booths from around the world who like aren't mm-hmm. at the speakeasy. I thought that was kind of like a funny touch. Even they keep cutting to these kids who are like reporters from around the world in these phone booths, like I sending know, information like to different long, press yeah, offices. Yeah. It's actually. It actually looks like a Wes Anderson movie thing. Yeah. It's like these very proper mm-hmm. uh, phone booths that they're in. Anyway, they all get uh, they all get cream pie. There's like a reporter on TV who's not there because he's in a TV studio. He gets hit in the face with with one. Uh, it's sort of like an interesting. There aren't very many moments in the movie overall that are like meta humor. There are a few. Um, but the ending really feels that yeah, way. Yeah, and and that's why I mean Alan Parker. Most of I mean like it, you, most I knew who was first introduced to Alan Parker with Pink Floyd's The Wall back in yeah. middle school. Um, he also did uh, Mississippi Burning, and it's and worth Angel noting Heart. right now. And Angel Heart, the movie that got Lisa Bonet. <laughs> he died. Of he of died about eight months ago, seven months ago. So he died yeah. pretty recently right. back in July. Um, yeah. Well, I've noticed like with his, his career going across it from just having seen all his movies come out. Cause his, like most of his work came out when I was in high school. Um, or at least like during that period, it got popular. It's either super, super well received or super poorly received. Like he doesn't have a whole lot of things that are just in the middle. It's either like a Mississippi burning with like super critical acclaim or like a road to Wellville. Where you're like, oh, that movie. I, and I think it's I like, think it's very strange. The movie Angel Heart got Lisa Bonet fired from The Cosby Show, which is rich coming from Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, um, it was but, it was lambasted um, when it came didn't, out. Yeah. Uh, wasn't Mississippi Burning the movie that got Ed Burns, co-creator of The Wire, into show business? I'm pretty sure it was. Maybe. I'm unclear. Uh, yeah. Don't know. Uh, but anyway, I think Shannon kind of brings up a good point because, I again, like... Alan Parker, I, I immediately thought of like he also did like fame and stuff. So he's not adverse to musicals and he does this one you could tell was I'll say a little amateur. Maybe it's just because it's the kids and maybe oh, it's yeah. just because it's his first film. And it's like a and, school play. Yeah. Like that, I really do understand Foster I, watching this movie again in my thirties, I kind of understood what my parents went through when they would have to go to my brother's high school plays. I, I now kind of understand. And and here's the thing that I sort of and, and I I understand the I think one of these biggest flaws with this movie the, that takes you out of it almost immediately is the male over singing of the, the grown up overdub yeah. of the children singing. And I understand that it was a production snafu, um, but it wasn't worth it. You know, it, it just no, wasn't worth it. it it's, like, it's, I, a, it's a nightmare, especially because they have like four studio voices tops. All the girls are being sung by the same woman doing the same character voice, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah I looked it up, and there were four names listed. They 
It, they left the potential open on the page for there might have been more people involved, but they only there listed four. <laughs> right. Uh, you can hear two it. Men, it's, it's mostly it. Paul Williams. Two you men, can hear it's yeah, Paul two Williams. Men, yeah. He's got a pretty recognizable voice. A lot of May Quetzal like impressions too. Oh, That's yeah. one of the things I noticed. Like every I, I a lot the of the ladies had be, uh, Betty Boop voices. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think that, well, they do that for everyone but Blousy. Yeah, and that's why mm-hmm. I, I sort of wish that, you know, like, the songs are pretty good. It's Paul Williams. I think the it's songs like the are, I think to... the vast majority of the songs are good. I think we're the very best at being bad guys. I think that scene, for me, that scene, like, that scene is the movie. If more of the movie were like that scene, these, like, ve- those four very charismatic kids doing their little funny song and dance, and if they were actually singing it, it would be, like, this is what the movie I think, should yeah, be. I think because because this movie's dealing with like augmented reality, right? Yeah. You're already dealing with that, and then to break it yet again, it really is like it. It I immediately was put way way. I was fine with the opening song sung yeah. by Paul Williams, Bugsy Below, because it felt more like a you know over A theme you song. know like yeah yeah. Um, but when as soon as the second song starts coming on, and it's I immediately know I'm like wait a minute, this is. Not it looks right. creepy to have these deep adult voices coming out of sometimes very young children, like seemingly as young as nine years old. Right. Married yeah. with there's, there's also you're some, already like, watching kids act like grown ups and they're supposed to be treated and doing grown up things. You know, yeah. it's when yeah, you're there's already some tone... There are like tone issues with this movie that feel a little bit like if someone was to arc it out, it would look like railer co- railer excuse me. Roller Coaster Tycoon, it's weird because it doesn't have a straight through. It's like a lot of like, suddenly this is happening, suddenly that's happening. It's episodic. Um, it's very episodic. Yeah. It's like Bugsy's because, various And again, yeah. I think that almost, a lot of the scenes feel like references to other, like so the there's like the massacre scene and that feels very Godfather-ish, but then there's also the scene where he's on the date with Blousy and that reminds me of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, yeah, to be I, honest. I, I the really, scene with the bike. I, I watched this with Sarah, mm-hmm. and I told her by the end of this is a movie about movies. That's, yeah, that's really what say, this is. I think these references go back to actual 1930s Indeed. movies. Indeed. Something I want to talk about with the kids playing adult roles is, even though it feels like a weird one-off in Bugsy Malone, that was actually a hugely popular thing in the 1930s. Uh, Shirley Temple got her start in these things called baby burlesques, which I know sounds bad, but put that aside for a moment. It meant something different back then. The idea was that it was kids acting out like sometimes just the hit grown-up movies of that year. And that is what this made put me in mind of. It almost felt like resurrecting an old like vaudeville type thing, uh, more so than creating something new. It's like, it feels older than it is but like it still looks incredibly 70s because of like the blue eyeshadow and stuff (laughs) and and like just the way it's shot like it seemed like every shot had like that low contrast light so everything has like that dreamy schmear on it um i just want to ask another film that wrote this reminded me so much of another film and i want to ask if you guys have ever seen it um pennies from heaven the dennis potter Mm -hmm. film no, I've no? heard of it, Have but I've seen never it? seen it. No, yeah, there was a it, the a ending of this... a podcast I used to listen to loves that movie. Well, it's very strange, and it reminded me of that one because, like, for some reason, at the start of the '80s into the '90s, like, metafiction became a huge thing, 
And Pennies from Heaven is essentially a straightforward narrative where it's like an intense drama about like crime and like the people getting into bad circumstances. And uh, it's got like Steve Martin and Bernadette Peters and uh, another uh, Christopher Walken in a young, handsome role. But the thing is, is that at the end of that movie, they're going through the whole serious story. You get to the end where everything's they have they've had a couple little moments of musical splendor in the movie. But at the end, you're pretty sure, spoiler warning, that Steve Martin's character is about to go to the electric chair for having murdered someone and then being uh, (laughs) found guilty of it. Whether he did it or not, I can't remember exactly. But the film ends with Bernadette Peters crying outside the courthouse, I believe, thinking he's about to be killed. And then he springs outside as Pennies from Heaven starts playing. And they go through a musical montage where he's like, I just explained it and they let me go. And it like sort of like begs the question of the audience, like, what is your dis- what is your suspension of disbelief? How much of this yeah. will you put up with before you go, that didn't happen. That guy got put into the electric chair. So... That the is ending of this with the, that, the cream yeah. pies made me think this is almost a much darker film because everybody gets murdered except for the main two characters exactly. at the end. So it's like, what level of nihilism is this? That's, yeah, well, that's why you talk it, about how much you can suspend your disbelief. This truly is a movie that was meant to be for kids. Like, if you look uh, at the graphic novel, it's like, this book is dedicated to all kids who don't like reading books without pictures. Like, it truly <laughs> is a kid's property. And I grew up watching this movie over and over again and, like, talk about suspension disbelief. I didn't question a damn thing. I still know the choreography to some of these songs because... I would be like trying to be like them at home in front of my TV. Like I thought this was the coolest shit ever. Are you fucking kidding me? They get to have their own speakeasy. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, and that's why it's it's you know, a movie that is geared for children, you almost have to go another level of suspense. That's why it's it's difficult to watch this as an adult when you haven't been, shall we say, inoculated with it as a kid when you don't have that um you know, that's sort of my, my buddy and I always talked about this in high school that like there are certain things that like you have to watch when you're at that age. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. You, you there's like an inoculation phase. Well, that's what I this like, stuff yeah. is converted to for modern times. Yeah. Like I've noticed that like in the YouTube era, like the bit of having adults or the bit of having kids play adults has been played a couple times. But like if you go back, like let's just say 2003. Uh, they had that whole sweeted t- trend where people would like remake famous movies mm-hmm. with children where they would do a trailer or something like that. And it was always a funny bit because it would be like this cute little child in the thing or this cute little child doing lines from Serpico or something like that. Yeah. Where you're just like, yeah, this there is was just a, completely strange. I remember there was an extremely popular like one of the one of the viral video that launched Funnier Die was that landlord video with Will Ferrell mm-hmm. and like a four year old girl demanding her rent. Yeah, I think that was Adam McKay's little daughter who was that age at the time. But I was going to say, I like watching this movie and talking about it with people who did not see it as kids because I was inoculated to its bizarreness. And like, obviously I'm not offended by you guys saying it's bizarre. It is incredibly bizarre. But I almost (laughs) feel like I can't fully absorb how bizarre it is just because of having grown up with it. I'm kind of on like the flip side of that. There was a moment when Zach and I were watching the movie this time together. the scene where Knuckles dies, I went, oh, this scene makes me kind of sad. And then, like, the 
gun thing exploded. Knuckles got covered in the whipped cream. Sam was like running around crying and shrieking in Italian. And Zach was like, this scene makes you sad. (laughs) (laughs) But that was my first impulse was like, oh, Knuckles is dead. And he was like my favorite one. Not Knuckles. I, and that's, you know, it, it, it is help. Um, that the children in this movie, that, that's why I, the whole time I'm watching it is thinking as a grown up, the question uh, when you're not grown up with it, I've only seen it, I think one time and I barely remember it. Um, but I, as watching it now, the whole time I'm thinking in my head is why <laughs> are they kids? Are the adults played by kids? Uh, you know, and because that, that, is such a difficult thing. I think kids at a certain age that they don't wrestle with those questions all that much. It's much yeah. easier for them to to accept these kind of zany ideas and just kind of roll with it. And and for what it's worth, except for the singing bits, it's fairly consistent within that. You know, like yeah. the cars they drive around are these little pedal cars. They're they're almost like wagons, almost. You know that that are that are driven like bicycle driven. It's uh, kind of so a Flintstones weird, logic. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, Chris, you choose- get a point. I, why did they choose that certain money. things are adult and certain things are childified? Like, I really don't understand some of these choices. Like, they try to go out of their way to show that the cars are pedal cars, but these kids still own and run businesses. I don't care if they're seeming to be driving cars that well, run the pe- on gas. The pedal, cars, like, the, pedal calls, the pedal cars also still sound like cars. Like, when they start going, yeah, they're exactly. still... Yeah, Something that was so striking to me this time was the Italian restaurant uh, scene where Danny Dan's uh, gang goes in and uh, they obviously have like a specific target in this Italian restaurant. It's this kid who's there with his wife. (laughs) And um, it's an important scene because Dan's uh, most bumbling gang member drops the gun and that's what alerts the press and the general public that splurge guns even exist. But like... This kid is having dinner with his wife and he gets shot in the face and then he's just like, you know, sitting there lifelessly while she's like crying over his body and shrieking his name as the scene peters out. Like, it's truly (laughs) jarring, (laughs) tonally, because Um, then you'll go to a scene with Fat Sam's gang where they're all very funny um, and, you know, like Knuckles will be reading his own subtitles off the screen or something like that. That was especially weird. Like the subtitle thing is this meta thing that doesn't really recur in the same way. Right. Even in the narrative of I the game, that's like joke, breaking though. the fourth yeah, wall of this yeah. is a movie, oh, yeah. which is a whole nother level on top of that, that they they do once and then never do again. But, the, but yeah. it's weird, though, because uh we're the very best at being bad guys is delivered straight to the camera, making eye contact with it. But that's like a musical. It's like it not is. the same as I know, a, but reading I just a subtitle. They, they don't do that with like every number. They go very back and forth in between that. And something that I found funny, um, this movie, because of the age of the cast, has the most bewildered and frightened extras you will ever see. Especially the <laughs> little boys who are in the audience for Jodie Foster's big number in my name is Tallulah. She like walks through the audience and flirts with these boys who are dressed as men and every single one of them looks like they are trying to evaporate out of their bodies. <laughs> yeah, that I, I, I have to say that Jody Jody Foster 
Okay, so the thing in the 70s with Jodie Foster is one of the weirdest periods of time, just because it's like she was... Well, I can't think of anybody else who was that young who was that hypersexualized or put into sexual danger in so many Brooke movies. Shields. Brooke Shields is a good one. Brooke That's Shields, another, too. Um, yeah. yeah, Blue Lagoon. But this like, movie came out this about... Ever... This movie came out about six months after Taxi Driver. So she must have filmed this, like, right after she wrapped Taxi Driver. Well, well, it's Taxi Driver, there's this, and then Little Girl Who Lived Down the Lane, where she also, I know people haven't seen it, spoiler warning, it's a very young girl put in sexual peril at one point. And it happens a lot. And it's strange because it's like, why was it, why was Jodie Foster specifically the one for focused on so many times with this particular she thing. Because she had it's the chops strange... to do it, Morif. Because, like, I, I think that even though well, why weren't she's there still... there other stories to yeah, tell I know. with well, Jodie Foster? Well, Taxi, Driver, yeah, taxi Driver is a bit different because, like, it's a... It, it, part of the thing is that she's young. That's what drives Robert De Niro to go crazy. Yeah. But, like, it, it, it... With Bugsy Malone, it's sort of... She's supposed to be playing a grown-up. So yeah, that's she's why a, she radiates in this movie. She's, she's amazing. She has more star power than everyone else put together, and I very much include Scott Bayo in sure. that. Sure, he's he's charming mm-hmm. enough. He he reminds me of Ralph Macchio in The Karate Kid, right? He doesn't yeah, really have to do all that much. He just has to just play role. a cocky young kid, basically. Some of the kids are fun, but no one really has star power the way yeah. that Joe um, has yeah. when she enters in her Takes big number especially. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just briefly while we're talking about the cast here, almost all of these kids went on to do like very little or like maybe they went on to do British TV. There is one exception. Babyface. Um, Babyface. Yeah. Babyface. Dexter Baby Fletcher. Is Dexter yep. Fletcher, yeah, who uh, appeared in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. That's he had right. a part in Band of Brothers. But more recently... Uh, he took over from Brian Singer, directing Bohemian Rhapsody, and directed Rocket Man uh, recently. So he's got a burgeoning directorial mm-hmm. career and going Rocket on. Man and is and, a very and fun I just want to say, he, he also was a steen sealer in that classic film Doom, playing Pinky, who eventually turns into the weird monster pink demon. Just a <laughs> reference. He's the guy it. in the wheelchair in that movie. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> well, to get back to uh, but, to get uh, back uh, to Bugsy Malone, I think that one of part of what makes this movie charming with the cast is that you know, for one, thank God for sound stages. Um, two, you have tight days on schedule when you have nothing but kids. I mean, they yeah. are they have a hard in and a hard out. Um, I, I I immediately my wife and I immediately thought of the 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 recent Little Rascals movie. Um, oh, well, another yeah, movie that's Nancy predominantly Ma- kids. Uh, yeah, was that? Uh, I think Penny was, Marshall, I think. I think Penny, it was Penny Marshall, Marshall, that's it. I almost uh, said Nancy Myers, but it was Penny Marshall. Uh, and yeah, so like I, I always kind of watch these movies with that kind of in mind that like this was probably a lot of fun for the kids. I don't know yeah. how much fun it was for the crew. <laughs> Um, I was just going to, to go to go back to Jodie Foster because uh, I feel like it. I really like need to talk about her role more because it is sort of weird. It is different from these movies where she's being sexually exploited by older characters. She really is almost like one of the antagonists of the movie. She's the um, romantic, like yeah, she's the romantic she's a seductress, foil, sort of. foible, if you will. Um, I just think it's so remarkable in a gross way. They seem to have saddled her with like all the most questionable lines. Um, How about you come over here and smear my lipstick? 
I like my men at my feet. And then there's a very bizarre repeated line in her big song, My Name is Tallulah, where it says, Tallulah got her training in North Carolina. And they repeat this line several times. It ends the song. And it's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> the hell is in North Carolina? There's several <laughs> lyrics, not just in My Name is Tallulah, in um, Tomorrow, which is this incredibly sad song that this little black janitor child has to sing about wanting to be a dancer, though he does not dance at all. Yeah, we don't get any scene. resolution. We don't even, we, yeah, that is no I longer have, addressed. My conspiracy theory. This movie is 90% set yeah, up and it's very upsetting my, to me because there's characters that are introduced once and they never come well, back. Well, I feel like they're trying to hit as many 1930s story stereotypes as they can can. tropes exactly like um and with the boxing gym and stuff but um i think he's a perfect example of a kid who was definitely cast for his singing voice that's totally why they cast him to sing the song but then they ran out of time exactly it's the same thing with blousy they give blousy one little clip at the beginning of the scene where she thinks her and bugs are leaving to hollywood and she sings yeah i'm going to hollywood and this girl has an amazing little girl voice and i'm like that's why they cast this sort of reserved maybe not as charismatic as jodie foster little girl they thought she was going to be singing multiple songs But anyway, in Fizzy, the little janitor's song, he has the most bizarre lyric. It's like, let the laughter loose until your scream becomes a love shout. It's like, literally the words do not make sense when you put them together in order. Um, And then there are also certain songs and lyrics that feel like Muppet cast-offs. Like, well, it is Paul Williams. I mean, you, he, which I, that's a compliment. That's a compliment. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. In You Give a Little Love, Fat Sam sings Flowers of the Earth. Uh, don't you ever realize how much a real friend is worth? I'm like, what? That's not very Fat Sam. But some of these songs feel like they were maybe cobbled together from um, the bits of other projects. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe uh, Paul, Paul Williams, Williams just had like a little notebook and he was like, all right, well, yeah. uh, let's see. Uh, sure. Okay, this one, this one. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was surprised by the number of songs that sounded very familiar and I didn't have context for them until I saw this again. Because I actually did see this when I was like nine and I blanked on it until I saw it again. And then I was like, oh, this movie, this movie. <laughs> um, but you guys, you guys sent me a clip of one of these songs in a Pepsi Coke, ad. But yeah. <laughs> like a Coca-Cola ad. It's so strange. I mean, it's a good... I really like that song. I really like a lot of these songs. I think the Boxing Gym song is, like, incredibly catchy. It's a good song. I, th- yeah, I think uh, we're the very number. best at being bad guys is great. And, like, some of these songs would be great if the kids were actually singing them. But here's more of my proof from my conspiracy theory about these being leftover songs. Um, they've gone... They've gone to so many lengths in the script to make sure that the kids are not drinking alcohol. You know, they're drinking at the bar, wink, wink, but they're really trying to project that it's not alcohol. Um, In Blousey's audition song for the speakeasy, she has the lyric, stronger than wine. And in a second verse that got cut that's still on the soundtrack, she says, so this is love, a pleasure to make it. And I'm like... They did not write a song that includes the lyrics making love for children. And there's a reason this second verse is on the cutting room floor. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of we sense. We should uh, <laughs> briefly, just because in the interest of uh, completionism, mention Paul Williams, who wrote all these songs, uh, who has done a lot of stuff. Um, oh, he's he, all over the place. Yeah, he wrote The Rainbow Connection. He wrote a lot of songs for the Muppets. He wrote, like, the Muppet Christmas Carol songs. He wrote Tiptoe Through the Tulips, Rainy Days and Mondays, he co-wrote. He's worked with the Monkees, Three Dog Night, Daft Punk. And the same year as Bugsy Malone, which was nominated for a now defunct category at the Oscars called Best Original Song Score and Its Adaptation or Adaptation Score. Wow. <laughs> which is a category I like had to figure this out. The, the other the other nominees were like Bound for Glory, which is about Woody Guthrie and okay. A Star is Born. It's yeah, when right. somebody writes a bunch of songs for a movie and then you have to write a score based on those songs. Uh, so it's a weird category. This, this all sounds, this sounds like one of those excuse categories where it's yeah. like somebody was really well known and popular for something. And they're like, we got to give them something, but nothing they do actually fits into a proper category. So they're like, let's make up this weird, very niche thing where we can glom five things into it. But everybody knows they're going to give this one guy the award. Yeah. It, but Zach, it's it should worth be noting said. that year, the same year as he got that nomination for Bugsy Malone, he won best original song. Not for Bugsy Malone, none of these songs were nominated for Best Original Song, but for Evergreen from A Star Is Born, sung by Barbara Streisand, which he also wrote. Yeah, um, and also, Zach, you would know him uh, from our as childhood. As the Penguin in the Batman. Penguin Batman. I thought Batman I was going to get you on yeah. that one. I was going to yeah, say, no. his, his Penguin experience is almost as relevant as his songwriting credits on this, because if you listen to Bad Guys, he's doing all four of yeah. Sam's main gangsters. He does, like, a nebbish voice for Knuckles, and then a weird black scent for Snake Eyes. <laughs> and he's literally just doing all these weird voices, which... Brings me to something else I want to talk about. Oh, wait, uh, real oh, quick. We should say, when we say the Penguin from Batman, we obviously don't mean Danny DeVito. We mean Batman, the, the animated, animated series, series yeah. from the 1990s. Played the voice of the Penguin, yes. Yeah. Let's talk about 1970s racism, folks. <laughs> oh, no. Here's, okay. here's the comic book, oh. which is just the story oh, wow. of the movie. But look at how they drew KG Joe compared to how they drew Blousey. Oh, oh so, no! Yeah, I don't really oh, want to show no. more of it on camera. It but seems like oh, it would be. No. Th this is like a fairly believable origin story for Scott Bayo now, though. That that I can agree. <laughs> to. He drew it all. No, but um, even though I think that you know. It's unfortunate that all of the uh, black actors are in roles that are a little bit stereotypical, like Leroy and KG Joe being fighters, uh, Velma and Razmataz and Fizzy being performers, uh, stuff like that. I could never have expected to pick up the comic book and see the way they drew those children. I mean, even though the kids have all different varying skin tones in the movie, they gave them all super dark skin, very oversized lips, you know, just uh, very stereotypical features, uh, regardless of what the actors in the movie actually yeah. looked like. Um, and I think a lot of those actors are very talented. Like uh, Velma, the dancer who performs during Fizzy's song is amazing. Like that's probably the best dancing in the movie. Uh, I really, really like Razmataz and KG Joe and Leroy. I think they're all like really fun characters. So that's disappointing. Sure, and it's also um, should be noted, I mean, like that is how, if 
there were any black actors in Hollywood in the 1930s, those are the roles they were given. Exactly. So, like, I understand yeah. they're the, trying to do the a tropey thing, you're... but I still don't excuse it. Sure, sure. The the, the racist the racist caricatures, uh, I agree, they're horrifying, and um, they were kind of common at that time period in a way that is very uncomfortable to go back and look at now. Like, if you try to go yeah. watch uh, any of uh, Rankin Bass... If you go back and try to watch yeah. any of their films, a lot of those have the stereotypical, um, extremely racist. Comic, I don't think comic there's any way Will Eisner, w- his the spirits sidekick, yeah. is yeah. is directly yeah. a anyway. The um, other, I mean, the other really troubling uh, facet of that like 1970s racism is the way the Asian characters are portrayed. Uh, so you have. Yeah. A Chinese laundry where everyone is dressed and Sarah noticed that as well. She's like, hmm. as stereotypical as could possibly be. And then Dandy Dan has a, an Asian um, member of his gang named Benny Lee who goes like, yeah, and screams before he like attacks. And it's like, it's just like, it feels very, very weird and stereotypical. <laughs> Uh, so I felt like it would be remiss since I was the one to who asked to watch this movie um, if I didn't point that out. But there was one scene I wanted to talk about where I don't know if this is just me or if this is actually something that other people noticed. So um, Danny Dean has a member of his gang named Doodle, who's the one who drops the gun at the Italian uh, restaurant. And they go back to Danny Dan's uh, fancy mansion (laughs) and they take out the old school uh, cream pies and they basically like firing squad style execute him in like a garden atrium at Danny Dan's command. It seems like the actor who plays Doodle has some sort of physical disability, perhaps, or something. He has he has a very different kind of slurred speech, um, and I just don't like I don't want to like I, make like I'm like ripping this kid apart. There were just things hmm. I noticed about his physicality and the way he spoke. Um, and the way he was compared to the other kids where I was like, I'm uncomfortable that during this scene, he is the one who is like the chosen target of all the other children. It just felt especially. Yeah. I think it felt, it felt like he was coded. It felt like he was being coded as differently able. Yes. That's what Um, I'm trying to say. Yeah. It was, it was one of those things where it was like, I think it was intended to make us feel bad, but it was very much what I would call a, um, uh, an unearned sense of sadness. <laughs> like yeah. uh, when you go back and you watch uh, Breakfast on Pluto, there's a memory of I have from that movie that's got a really terrible scene where the mentally disabled brother is too close to an IRA car bomb when uh, Killian Murphy's like, oh, come back this way. And the big sad moment is this uh, differently abled person running towards camera in slow motion as a car explodes and they die. And it's one of these things where the character was introduced, the scene was created, and all of it was set up to make us feel bad in a way that's very manipulative. Um, Yeah, so it's the movie movie... Precious based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Uh, And also, I think that, I I, I think that, like, the, the overt cruelty of somebody like Fat Sam, it worked really well. Like, you could tell Fat Sam is not a professional actor. Um... 
but oh, he's he was really so funny. In it. He's really he's so in it, yes. You know? He like, cares so much. Yeah, I mean. It, I, it thought, is all, I, I think it, he's for so a funny. lot of these for a lot of those and that's very common of even the 1930s you have people who are just sort of they look the type they not necessarily are a great actor but they just kind of look the type um but i love it when actors can just go for it you know if even if I'm, it's not particularly my bag but if they're just in it you know it will it will impress you of what that brings out of other people i i i got even when you're not oh. a professionally trained actor all it takes is really a hundred percent commitment, and you know, I, like you I, I will. Yeah, absolutely. I looked up that kid. I looked up that kid, and I will say that his hundred percent commitment went full on in 2015 because he went to jail for two to six years for money laundering and bribery. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a reverse. Like, John uh, yeah. yeah, John Cassisi. What did he reverse get up to? Reverse method oh, acting. Oh, that's kind of. what he got up to. It's the role um, that never left him. One other factoid. <laughs> Yeah, one other. Oh God! You know what they say? Um, Jack Nicholson said that if you play Fat Sam, it takes a toll on your mental. Never the same. <laughs> I I usually hate to acknowledge anything uh, positive that he does when other people can see, but I got to give my point to Zach for that Joker joke because that okay. did get me. All righty, <laughs> bonus point. There we go. Um, so blousy. Uh, there is a sequence in the film where she has a daydream and it gives me the impression yes. that the secret coding of this movie is that Blousey might be a psychopath because she's sitting in the uh, green room and she's gazing into the mirror and one of her friends comes up and do I look cute? And then she says something like, eh, whatever. And then the lady's like, I don't look cute. And then the lady's like gazing no, off into the distance her with name Blousey. Is, the character's name is Bangles Bell, and she goes, Bangles to Bell, yeah. you look terrible to herself, and it's so sad. <laughs> She's a little girl. And, yeah, and, and Blousey doesn't correct it. She just goes back to staring into the distance. Uh, but the other but the chorus girls is, are so much meaner. They are ripping this girl yeah. to shreds. But there's a dark, weird thing with the sequence, okay? Like, in the movie, they've introduced the concept that splurge guns are getting hit in the face of the pie is death. Like, it's murdering someone, right? Her daydream is to go off to Hollywood and sit on the side as I assume a script girl, get the actress on stage is screwing up the scene and the director keeps interrupting and yanking this child away and then it finally goes, Blousey, come on up, it's your turn. And Blousey runs up and they do the scene and she, you know, the guy's standing there and she pops through the door and you think the same thing's gonna happen that happened before, but rather than doing a scene or acting, she just hits him in the face with a pie. Because they've introduced that pie and guns are murder in this film, it makes me think she's just turned into Patrick Bateman and she straight up murdered her co-star as the first thing she did in Hollywood when she got that starring chance. Do you think that this movie's secretly a dark, um, you know, a moment in this person's life before they went on to greater crimes? Like, what do you think was going on in that sequence? It's a cautionary tale get show business, Boris. You know, if you... Well, it's about violence begetting violence. (laughs) I mean, okay. it's funny you would bring that up, Chris, because we also talked about that when we watched this. We talked about the exact same scene where, like, oh, she changes it from hug and a kiss to she shoots her co-star in the face. Um, yeah. I th- and the, the director loves it, by the way. It's what yeah. he wanted. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. apparently his script did not, <laughs> did not like his script. Um, I, I think what I... 
what is interesting about this to me, though, is that uh, the movie keeps forgetting its own rules is what I think the real answer is. Um, during that doodle execution scene that bothered me so much, one of the funniest things to watch in the background is all the boys are holding their cream pies to, you know, throw it. <laughs> and one kid gets some on his hands and he just starts licking it off. He's definitely not supposed to. He's like far enough in the background. He's like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think it's worth Noting a couple of these review quotes that I thought were quite... Oh, okay, yes, please do, yeah. I, Pauline Keel savaged it. I Pauline Keel's is, 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 is particularly... Yeah, she, but she kind of made it an indictment on the whole, anyway. But a lot of them were positive. Roger Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel both liked loved it. Loved it. Like, they called it really charming. Uh, they really liked the performances and the songs. It was catchy, like... They, I think they just went with the premise and they were fine with it. Really worth watching, as opposed to being just a cute idea... It's lifted by the fine performances, terrific choreography, catchy songs, and bright photography. Like, Variety liked it. A lot of people liked it, especially Jodie Foster. But Pauline Kael's quote, she did not care for this movie. And she said the film is, quote, uh, nothing but its god-awful idea. And then said, we're not watching actors in a story. We're watching kids doing a stunt. And so we're primed to ooh and ah the way an audience does for a chimp on the Carson show. That's <laughs> <laughs> correct. I, I see where she's coming oh, from, honestly. I, I, and I do, and I think that kind of like it—it's it, sort of the, the the conflict that you brought out that it's not consistent with its own premise a lot of the yeah, time. It, it feels like a it gimmick. It's—it's it's an think, idea. I think sugar-coated swill versus hard-hitting gangster drama could work if it could make up its mind about who this movie is really for. Is it for kids or adults? Part of the trick to this movie is there's this central premise that's kind of weird, like the basic baked-in thing of like kids are going to be playing adults and cream pies are murder and also like adults are singing the song, which is like not intentional, but whatever. And you either are able to go with that and just be like, yeah, it's a perfectly fine way to spend an hour and a half. Or you're like, what the fuck is this? And I don't sure. think there's an in-between. And it's also like it it, it does. Uh, the first thing I thought a more successful type of this movie for me would be Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, in that it is a movie about movies. It is geared for children, but also grownups as well. Yeah. And these kind of, and it's also pretty consistent with its own reality. I yeah, think the rules in that movie are very clear yeah, and consistent. And that was, uh, Sarah yeah, thought of that, that, that one was helped because it was, it was based off an original novel too. I think that one worked out because they spent years oh, that, honing yeah. that screenplay before and they finally got it to the point. But yeah, it's totally, I agree everybody. with that. Yeah, that, that's a yeah. different topic for a different day. Yeah. But I, the idea could work. Um, if a couple things weren't working against it. One, the production constraints of having the, the grown-ups overdub the kids singing. Even if it wasn't the original cast singing. Even if I it agree. wasn't Jodie Foster or Scope Bio. Just have kids do it. Just have Scope a kid. Bio. You know, yeah, you know, just have... Just <laughs> Scope Bio. Scope Bio. Yeah, he's Scope. Scope um, Bio, am I right, folks? Right. Yeah, right, yeah. And, and, and I'll mm-hmm. remember him as blah, 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 and that's all I choose to. Um it's i think that the the whole experience because because of that feels very amateur and that's why it's 
and, and most musicals are a chore for me to get through anyway. Are we are we doing um, final thoughts? Is that where we're at right now? Well, no, no. Yeah, I think we've I, yeah, I think we've okay. side saddled into final thoughts. Kind of okay. is what yeah, might have sorry, happened here. Sorry, I hijacked yeah. you into my final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that you know, yeah, most musicals are a chore for me, and this one's no exception. That being said. Um, the kids are absolutely charming. Like they, yeah. they, they are absolutely enjoyable to watch. Uh, I did appreciate what I got sort of to be a strong anti-war vibe in the final scene. Shannon, you're uh, bringing up the, the, the novelization is sort of what I kept waiting for in the movie. I kept waiting yeah. for like it to cut to kids in their backyard and the parents go, what did you do? What is all this mess? And then yeah. roll credits. I kept waiting for that moment to happen. Well, um, it was, I mean, I literally thought of the end of this movie because of reading about freaking Dr. Strangelove. Strangelove, so right. From yep, that yep. point A to point B, B for Buggy, yeah. um, is <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and like I said, you definitely made good on your threat and, and, and it should be said, a lot of pie fights in the face, still kind of funny. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's my final thoughts. Um, yeah, I, 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 it wasn't painful, but I probably won't watch it again. I, I could probably give some pretty quick, simple final thoughts, and then I'd love to hear what uh, Zach and Shannon yeah, think about this one. Um, yeah, I, uh, Alan Parker, uh, I've loved a lot of his stuff. I've also disliked a lot of his stuff. He's a real like hit or miss type of guy. I uh, don't fault him for always swinging real hard, even if it misses. But uh, it, the part of this movie that I think I'll remember best is uh, probably just how bizarre it was. And the fact that two years later, he made uh, Midnight Express. <laughs> so it goes from this to the intense, intense Midnight yeah. Express about you know, Turkish prisons and hash smuggling. I uh, I kind of wish that he might have done either like a lighter musical or a darker story completely. Like I kind of wish that it had gone one direction or the other and just owned it. Yeah. Like if it was kids with guns shooting each other, that itself would have been disturbing and kind of an interesting film. Or if it had just been kind of upbeat musical numbers, that would have been fine too. Yeah. So for me, it was a little bit odd. I mean, I think that's why I picked the movie. I think you guys said it really well. Uh, I'll I'll try to keep it brief since I've said so much, and then I'll let Zach uh, close us out. But in this life, there are good movies, and there are bad movies, and there are movies that have to be seen to be believed. Um, for me, this is a movie I enjoy, but I still think it's a bad movie, but it's a movie I like to introduce people to because you'll never really see anything like it, at least of the current modern era. And there's just something about seeing a 13-year-old girl holding a hand of an 8-year-old girl who's supposed to be her child, or a Catholic priest <laughs> showing up at a child speakeasy, and the priest is also a child. And their little bespoke guns and their little pasted on mustaches that is so absurd. It almost feels like a Tim and Eric sketch or something to me at times. It's so absurd. Uh, also, uh, I think the music would work a lot better if it had just been wholesale, handed off to the Muppets. Imagine Miss Piggy singing My Name is Tallulah. Imagine a I bunch could, of Rizzo rats singing We're the Very Best of Being it. Bad Guys. They would, it. Be, yeah. they would be considered classic Muppet songs. Like, they really Absolutely. would. 
So that's it. Absolutely. If I could give you a point, if I could give you a point, I do that right now because I realized the movie I really wanted was this, but with Muppets. Exactly. I wanted, yeah. I wanted the Muppets yeah. in this movie, and I would have loved it and been yeah. on board oh, for the whole thing so and not one thousand percent. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a good call. I think like if if that were the case, if it were like a Muppet movie, one hundred percent Muppets. And then Bugsy was like, I don't know, fucking young Al Pacino or whatever. Um, <laughs> or even Ralph Macchio instead of Scott yeah. Baio. Like whoever mentioned Macchio, much more likable uh, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, oh, for mm-hmm. sure. And yeah. But uh, yeah. I've that, also that, heard that, he's a nicer man in general. Yeah, I, I think that would that. have been a, a classic. And it makes sense that Paul Williams like, you know, did a lot of stuff with the Muppets. I think once you get past the initial weirdness of some of the premise of this movie, like the, you know, the kids adult stuff, like it's uh, putting that aside. And that's just like a weird curiosity of history. Like that's kind of what that is. Examining it beyond that. I think it's a moderately in fine way to spend an hour and a half like I don't think it's exceptionally good but it's not painful you know like Russell said it's not bad really it's like a perfectly fine way to to spend a little time the songs are genuinely catchy like uh, you know you I like uh, a few days later you still have like we're the very best at being bad like in your head mm-hmm. that was off t- tone but whatever no it was good Um, you know it, you got it a future with you got a future Blassie yeah like some of the songs do stick with you like in terms of of how they sound and i think that's an accomplishment i think it's ultimately interesting in its premise but as a film it's fine it's fine yeah it's not so much that i'm like gouging my eyeballs or beating my head against the wall watching it but i am spending most of this movie scratching my head being like why i I didn't pick it because i thought you guys were gonna be like this was great (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) that's the hard truth that is fair no it's good i feel like you're almost tiptoeing around because you're worried you're gonna hurt my feelings but that that's impossible okay No, I mean we uh, we're we're all like in for movies like this. It was a lot of fun. I uh, appreciated having an excuse to watch it again because the last time I saw this, I realized while watching it, I think I was nine years old, and it was a VHS that I think my grandparents got from the library, which is probably way more appropriate than the time I talked them into renting Hellraiser two and then watched it. That's a great one. They didn't enjoy that at all. This was a safer film. And it was also yeah. nice because, you know, my theme with Peckinpah is so nihilistic and violent and dark and, shall we say, extremely <laughs> male-driven. Um, so it was nice to get, like, a you know, these kind of nice little tunes and pies in the face and something just yeah. sort of, uh, shall we say, I, innocent. That's, that's what yeah. this movie is, a very innocent movie, and that's why I could forgive a lot of its sins is because... It's it's not naive. It's just an innocence about this movie. That, they wanted that to make a nice about. movie for the nice people. Yeah, that's what this movie. Yeah, is about. I, I I I'm going to take the argument that I think I appreciate this movie now more that we watched it because I realized it's secretly deeply dark and nihilistic. <laughs> like everyone dies at the end. It's a very Shakespearean <laughs> ending. I love that. I know that it's got the whole bit where everyone comes back to life. Uh, to me, they're they're all dead still. That's, That's just the, the dream sequence. Well, That's the, speaking of the... coming back to life, um, <laughs> so, in the down and out song, some of the 
uh, hobos, homeless people, whatever you want to call them, are Sam's dead gangsters with mustaches on the ones that didn't already have mustaches. Bugsy sits down next to a kid and puts his arm around him, and it's literally just Lewis, Sam's most bumbling gangster but now he has a mustache because they had the actors mm-hmm. playing multiple roles. I think what you're, what yeah. happens at the end, Chris, is that Bugsy sees this horrible massacre and loses, loses his, his mind. mind and imagines the situation. <laughs> but in the reality, he's in a room full of corpses. And yes. he's the reason, yes. too, because he's when they brought the army. Yeah, they, had, the a, they right, had a cut yeah. scene that was Bugsy in a padded room singing Give a Little Love to the, <laughs> in the corner. Shutter <laughs> Island. I, uh, uh, yeah, Shutter Island. The, the, oh, dark, the dark, evil ending of this is the one that I really secretly love and hope actually happened. Yes, that sounds well, then fantastic. you should watch well, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the director's cut. Hmm. I enjoy that Um, one too so I guess Chris since you're logging for well before we get into what we're going to what Chris will Chris's Sarah will trap us with next week let's do a quick rundown of the points because some points we're given uh Chris got a point from me because he mentioned the Flintstones uh and Zach Powers (laughs) got two points for the very very funny Godfather cannoli pun and then from Shannon for comparing it to the Joker. Uh, so Zach has three points. Shannon I loves the Joker points. is Shannon's weakness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm known for loving the Joker. I love all interpretations of the Joker. Basically, I wish the Joker was edgier. Like if his face yeah. was stapled you know, onto his face, that would If we just had a Joker movie that me. was rated R, if only we had that. It, that's the, the edgy treatment that the I've Joker seen really that If there was a Joker I've movie that was... I've 100% seen that movie. Yeah. Definitely yeah. seen it. Uh, know what happens. We'll because the, I the went thousand movies that it was ripping so, off. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's not one of those ones that I comes love, up on HBO and you go, "Oh, it's that guy's face." Definitely playing Joker. Yeah. Definitely I, I aware that one is the Joker intense. hits Robert De Niro with a cream pie. <laughs> that could happen for all I know, you guys. You're that like making happen. a joke, or are you? Yeah, that would be. That would. That would happen. All right. So with that. We are moving on to round two of movies chosen by our significant others. This time, round two is going to be chosen by Chris Boroff. Chris, what has Sarah chosen to trap us with? Well, my Sarah, uh, true to form, picked a film that she was curious about, interested in, that we'd already had a little bit of a debate on, and we wanted to go back and see if I was right or she was right. So this is a thing. We're going to be watching Fire in the Sky. Her argument is that it is a terrifying movie, and my argument is that it is, uh, well, we're going to watch together and find out. <laughs> okay. So that's okay. the thing. I have a different opinion. I think might be more of a courtroom drama. Okay. But we'll wait and see. I'm not super familiar with this. So, I'm not yeah. either, actually. I remember, oh. like, it, when it kind of came out, I remember seeing, like, commercials for it when I was a kid, but I don't think I've ever actually yeah. seen it. It's, it has a very memorable sequence in it that a lot of people don't remember clearly, and it is one of the scariest moments for my wife in film. So it has come up a lot in conversations, and I'm like, I think we need to revisit this so you can face down that monster. It's not as scary as it <laughs> seems like a, back a in the day. a therapy movie trap. We are, we are going to yeah, face your like fears when, by confronting yeah, them, I had to go, and hopefully yeah. you could move past them. 
Yeah, I had to uh, go rewatch Dreamscape to understand that the big snake-headed man was, in fact, not that scary anymore. And that maybe it was when I was younger, it was terrifying. But she was very curious, she was very interested, and I love D.B. Sweeney, so I want to watch this movie, guys. Okay, alrighty. Fire okay. in the sky, next on the movie trap. Uh, well, Shannon, thank you, thank you so much uh, for dropping the bomb and really putting a make mugging us off with all of the cream pies and the 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 fun numbers fun song and dance numbers of a of a very unique one-of-a-kind movie this is for sure one-of-a-kind uh, <laughs> thank, you, thank so you thank you so much me. oh this yeah. was so fun i really i'm glad i had the chance to do this i appreciate it so thank you so much you're welcome, and 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 again, we'll, we'll, we thanks for coming on. Um, so I guess uh, yeah, this has been a lot. This uh, has been a lot of fun having you on, Shannon. It was uh, yeah, for it, sure. It was always oh, that's uh, so nice. It's I always fun it. to see like yeah. more people on, and yeah, you've always been a lot of fun you to have were, on the show. Were, so thank you for coming in. In, in the Doctor Strange Love episode, you were a big hit with my wife and and father-in-law. So good job. Oh, that's um, nice. That's yeah, really nice to hear. You were thank a big you. hit. Um, <laughs> well, I guess on that note, gentlemen and lady. Uh, I guess we'll sign off by saying that uh, my name is Russell Carlson, and for my co-hosts, Chris Boroff. They call Say me goodnight, Slim Gracie. because of my physique. Good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> I, we haven't and worked out the bits yet. Uh, we haven't. I've got Zach's back down. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> for my other co-host, Zach Powers. Uh, I, I do want to be a boxer. <laughs> and uh for that note as we always say here in the movie trap or as zach always say and i will continue on diane lad is too young to be chevy chase's mom that's the movie trap promise <laughs> how about you blousy you think i look terrible you tell me blousy do i look cute or do i look terrible Bell, you look terrible.